Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 50. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined on set by Hezbula and Cody Safdick is on the line. How's it going, Code? Yeah, good, man. Good. Last week, you know, at least we got out of it unscathed. We knew it was going to be a tricky card, some uh, some tight spots here and there. But overall, didn't get banged up too bad. And yeah, just maybe a couple of questionable decisions away from hitting it big. So happy to be back in studio. We've got 14 fights to work with here. And uh, I, that's why I'm glad to be joined by you, Paul Shaughnessy, because I'd like to figure out which dogs you like, which are the tricky situations. There's five pickums on this card, which is very unusual for a card as well. So yeah, man, let's 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 dice this thing down and figure out the best route to take. I had a pretty good pretty good card last week, and if George Masvidal just quit, just gave up, I know you know rivalry. He was never going to let himself quit. Quit in that Tyron spot. did. Tyron did. But uh, if we if we got that, it would have been it would have been a red panty night. But uh, pretty good pretty good night at the office. Regardless, avoided a lot of. I mean, most of my bigger plays worked out pretty good. No complaints here, but uh, you're only as good as your last card, as they say. So let's get into US, UFC Vegas 50. All lines brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. As always, um, we got Magomed Ankalaev taking on Tiago Moretta Santos. Minus 600 Ankalaev, plus 435 Santos. I'll let you take it away. I feel like it's pretty yep. straightforward. Yeah, yeah, very straightforward. But unlike, say, a few weeks ago, we got Islam Makachev over Bobby Green, right? And when we did the show, it was minus 650 Makachev. And you can get behind that because there are 155 pounders, and Bobby Green is effectively one knockout win in the last decade. And it was against a real estate salesman, 34-year-old from New York. Shout out to Ally Quinta. So, so the, the what could go wrong is kind of mitigated. Like, if Bobby Green's going to win this fight, he's going to have to piece him up for 25. You don't see that happening. Puncher's chance is not there because Bobby Green doesn't have a, a, a real history of knocking guys out. This one's a little bit dicier because even though I think Magomed Ankalaev can go out there and roll, not necessarily with his striking or with his wrestling, but as with his striking as well, Tiago Santos does have a history of icing guys, and you're playing with fire. Minus 600. Do I love Ankalaev? Yeah, I like him a lot. But is it the kind of thing that I would consider hedging out at the end? Maybe just because of puncher's chance. But here's the main thing is that Tiago Santos, 38 years old, that puncher's chance seems to be slowly evaporating, seems slowly to be uh, be uh, sliding away from him. His best days probably at 185 pounds. He got a little bit too big. He challenges John Jones. He has a a good a good fight against John Jones. One judge thinks he did enough to win. He does double knee surgery afterwards, and it's kind of been downhill since. Again, you look at the numbers, the Glover takes air fight. He clipped Glover a few times, but outside of that, Glover takes him down, dominates him. Tiago looks tired, looks sluggish, not himself. You give him a pass because it's his first fight back. Alexander Rakic fight, low volume, only lands 49 significant strikes. Just not a whole lot of activity out of him. And again, you don't really see that that big power on display. And then, of course, his last fight against Johnny Walker, just not really enough out of him. It's 25 minutes. Maybe he's looking to pace himself over the course of five, but... Just not enough activity. And so activity kind of just start becoming a repetitive theme. When you look at his fights, he lands 44 over 25 minutes against Johnny Walker. Lands 49 against Rakic, fight that gone the distance. Uh, his fight with John Jones, again, it's 25 minutes. He lands 43 significant strikes. Just not enough out of him. You and I have been riding the Ankalaev coattails from like day one. Day one. Dude comes in. It's like, yeah, he moves really well for a light heavyweight. He's got a Sambo background. He can wrestle. 
but he chooses not to wrestle. Now, he's the laughing stock of the community because he gets tapped out with a triangle with one second left. But it's not like we ever bet against him after that fight. It was just like, damn, we took a bath on this one. But he's still the guy we think he's going to be. Hasn't got triangled since then. Knock on wood. But, I mean, he keeps delivering, Paul. And we liked him because he can, he's can. he got great pace, great cardio, good chin, seems durable, can, uh, can really go out there and get the takedowns, secure takedowns, and take that route. But beyond that, his striking has really evolved. And his last fight against Volkan Uzmir proved a lot of things to me. There's a, a pure striker who he opted to more or less purely strike with. And he got chin-checked a few times. Nice little left hook lands in the first uppercut that he leans right into. Um, the guy's got a chin on him. He proved that, and that'll be the main thing against Thiago Santos. Because Maybe you do get grazed a few times. Maybe you do get clipped a few times, but he's way faster. His uh, frontward pressure will just kind of back him up to the base of the cage, and then from there, land his strikes. He's got better volume. He's quicker, quicker hand combinations. Could mix in the wrestling just to try to tire him out. And, of course, over the course of 25 minutes, you know, that, that wearing him out will become the narrative, right? Maybe gets a late stoppage around four, round five, if you can uh, kind of turn it on him. What I liked in the Volcan fight is uh, buzzer rings. It's 15 minutes, right? Three-rounder, buzzer rings. And he's still chomping at the bit going. Plus, he dropped Glover, or um, Volkan Uzdemir in the first round with a nice left hand. Tapa, or, uh, fight metric lifts him as an orthodox striker, but he fights the Volcan fight purely out of the southpaw stance. And like that right jab that he's got just sets up a beautiful left hand for him over and over again. I think he is kind of the complete package. And I think Tiago Santos is a guy that overachieved and has had his day. So beyond puncher's chance and Kaliyev rolls, just minus 600. I'm probably not telling you anything that you don't know. And of course, 205 pound guys, blah, blah, blah. Like anything could happen, but I'm sure we're on the same page, right? You're not going against him here. I grabbed, uh, I added him, I made a parlay with him and um, Mirzakhanov, who we'll talk about, uh, which is the first fight of the night. That's what they call Murderkhanov. Murderkhanov. Uh, that's what, what they call a tease in the biz. I, I, I grabbed him when he was minus 500 and Mirzakhanov was minus 160. Uh, the parlay together pays, it's uh, minus 106. Just a standard play. Yeah. I wanted to get it because I was like, you know what? This is minus 500. I know, like, I've anybody who's been paying attention, anybody who's listened to me for the since since Ankalai has been in the division, especially the last few fights, I think this is the best guy in the in the 205 pound division. Unfortunately, he's getting priced as the best guy in this division. <laughs> like, you, you, minus 600. We're getting up into dangerous territory. Of course, I echo a lot of the same things that you said. Uh, Santos, after that, those those knee injuries, uh, the knee surgery, just hasn't looked the same. The volume has never been great. He's kind of just a puncher's chance. Uh, like, you know, going back and watching Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker, it's just like, my God. It's like five rounds, both guys, no, neither guy cl uh, eclipses 50 significant strikes. Like, that's the type of fight that Tiago Santos, I think that's the only type of way that he can go five rounds in a fight is – if, it, if it's a slower pace like that, he can go five. But, you know, if he has a higher pace, if he's trying to cha charge a finish like he was against Glover Teixeira, he starts running out of gas, running out of a quick. As a ankle lie of parlayer, I really hope we go back to the wrestling here. It was nice. It was cute against uh, against Vulcan Ozdemir. Ozdemir has really, really sneaky good uh, takedown defense from rewatching that as well. Um but, you know, it showed a lot that he was able to outstrike him, you know, beat him, uh, get the cleaner shots, more technical shots, and avoid all the carnage. But 
I mean, the path, the way you lose this fight is you get knocked out standing on the feet against Thiago Santos. The way you win this fight and like really break him down early is shoot takedowns very early. I wouldn't get too invested because of the price, but I did add him to a parlay because I figured uh, yesterday that, or was it yesterday? It was Monday, I believe I put that play in. Um, that I figured that eventually this line is going to start getting away from us. Uh, well, as people start adding parlays and so on and so forth, this is probably going to go off at like minus 700, minus 800. Um, so it is what it is. Um, we're on the same page. We both like Ankalive to roll. I think Ankalive is the best guy at 205 pounds. He's going to have to get through Thiago Santos to prove that. Moving on down the card, we got Magic Marlon Marais taking on Song Yadong. Song Yadong is a minus 255 favorite. Marais can be had for plus 205. It has not been a great little run for Magic Marlon Marais. Um, just, I mean, he, in fairness, he is fighting the, the, the best, the best of the best. And that's what happens when you're signed to a good contract as the World Series of Fighting Champion. You know, the obviously it's one of those situations like, well, you can't be, you know, jerking the curtain against some bums. Like, we're paying you big money. You got to fight the big boys. Um, he's dangerous. He's super, super dangerous. Like, I, I'm a little bit hesitant here because Song Yudong has been good. He's probably the best Chinese fighter on the roster. And his striking looks clean. He's been working on his wrestling with the guys at Team Alpha Male. Like, I think he's got a real future in the sport. And durability-wise, there's, there's really no competition here. Like, Song Yudong's chin definitely holds up. Mar Marlon Marais, like, the guy's pretty broken at this point. But, man, is he dangerous for the first, like, three minutes or so. Marab fight. I mean, Marab, a different ref in that situation. Mm. And... And they're stopping it, yes. right? Like yeah, the, the, right. the commentary team is saying, like, stop this fight, stop this fight. Rob ends up getting him up against the cage. The machine does what the machine does. Almost kind of steals the round back, but I don't think so. Like, I don't think you can actually give him round one. But then round two, it's just like you, you, they go to the corners. Marlon's like huffing and puffing in his corner. It was only a matter of getting one more takedown. Uh, even the, the Rob Font fight, like, it was more like a jab that kind of like sent him back like that chin is compromised maybe maybe Marlon Marais can like take him down early fish for a sub I, I know some people have been touting the sub prop here it, it's like 10 to 1 or something absurd um that's possible but um I think Song Yudong wins but they're really paying the price of a mission Marlon Marais is so talented that I'm gonna stay away but I'm picking Song Yudong what about you yeah, the pick song you're as well, but and as you've already broken it down, you'll be clinching your butt cheeks for the first three minutes because it's going to be a nerve-wracking experience with Marlon Marais. Even in all these losses, and they're starting to rack up, he does show flashes of brilliance. Beautiful counter-left hook, just rocks from Rob Bavashvili, inches away from getting the finish, doesn't materialize, he gasses out. The Rob Font fight, he actually scores two real nice takedowns to start out that fight, and then the takedowns completely gas him out, and he gets knocked out all within the span of one round. Bad look, gasses out. Takedowns look pretty all right. Corey Sanhagen fight, you know, didn't look great in that one. But again, it's a repetitive theme. That one's a nasty knockout. It makes me wonder if you eat a nasty wheel kick, highlight reel, KO'd, right? And the UFC books you approximately 
nine weeks later against Rob Font. And you're right. It was like a half-hearted punch completely rocks him and he's done. In the Rob Devashvili fight, Rob's never knocked out anybody, man. I mean, he's a wrestler. He just grinds on Grinds so hard. Grinds so hard. He rocks him early. Rob would have stolen the first round back if not for the fact that it was on its way to being a 10-8. So still a Marlin first round, but you can tell that what was going to happen. And then in the second round, yeah, he rocks Marlon with the right hand. Marlon's like half falling over before he just spear tackles him, Brock Lesnar style onto the ground, and then just mauls him from that position. But it's like, again, once he gets tired, he's not defensively sound, and he doesn't have the type of chin to take this kind of damage. So Song Dong's not notoriously a power puncher. I think he's got seven wins in the division, maybe only two of them by knockout. But again, he's coming off a win by knockout, and he looked good in that fight against Julio Arce. Yeah. Arce touted as a pretty good striker himself, and in the first round, it's close, competitive. But Song wins it on everybody's scorecards. And in the second round, beautiful right hand just zaps him in midair. It's actually like a head kick wraps around the guard, rocks him, and then just puts him away. Killer instinct on the kid. He's 24 years old. You brought up another great fact. Marlon just makes so much damn money that they won't give him a layup. That's what he needs. He needs some confidence. He needs a, 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 a couple wins consecutively, but they just do not give him any favors. But his base salary is $120,000. If he wins, it's another $120,000. That's that's a quarter million dollars for the UFC if this guy wins. So they're not, they're not looking necessarily to let him win. They're looking to build guys up. They've done an excellent job of that. They need someone to challenge for the title. They need that big, that big name opportunity guy. They get the rub off him. I would say that Yadong's in the same position. He's the most legitimate Chinese fighter on the roster outside of Wiley Zhang. He's only 24 years old still. He's got a long ways to go. He could potentially be a title challenger down the road. And he's extremely marketable in the sense that that's what they're looking for is that Asian superstar. So you got one guy, Marlon, makes too much money, high-profile guy, challenged for a title, former World Series of Fighting Champion. He's on his way out. You want to give him the rub, and it comes down to Yadong. Now, as dangerous as Marlon is... And I hadn't really thought about the submission that much, to be honest. Like, suppose it's possible. He subbed Hafela Sunsat with the guillotine, but he rocked him first. So striking will probably set up the submission, if anything. Yudong's just got a hell of a chin on him, dude. Durability really is going to be key here. So uh, you might be able to get a better line on this live. Like, if you just yet let Marlon do what Marlon does for the first three to four minutes, and you can hit it at that point. But chances are once you don't gets out of that first he'll start to take over on the numbers eventually hurt him and uh i would think put him away inside the distance so not only would i go with song Yudong if you're kind of the inside the distance proper under two and a half guy this probably would be one of those spots yeah Yudong is like killer be killed at this point when you fight marlin right well it's yeah exactly so it's like rather than betting that minus 255 if you're gonna go down that route take take his knockout prop which is like uh, minus one ten at DraftKings Sportsbook. You may be able to find a better price if you uh, do a little shopping. Um, I parlay, and the number one rule is don't parlay props. And then yeah, it's money I, you intend to never see again. You could hit, could hit, could hit, but when you parlay, you're you're dang, it's already high risk. Don't you be might as well take props together. I would say you rather take the inside the distance actually than because uh, there's really not yeah, much of a difference straight. in the in the inside. Oh, no, I mean the inside the distance uh, song you dung. I'm not going to bet it, but I think that's like, that gets you off of the minus 255. Like I, The way Marlon fights, <laughs> unless he changes his style completely, he doesn't look like a guy who can fight for three rounds anymore. Like We've seen it so many times now that it's like you probably would rather, to get off of the minus 250 that you see out there, probably rather take a coin flip. Uh, it's going to probably end up being the exact same result. Anyway, we got uh, Sadiq Yusuf taking on 
Alex, Bruce Leroy, Caceres, minus 235, Yusuf, plus 190, Caceres. Caceres, sneakily, on like a five-fight winning streak here. It's insane. Good for him. This is a guy that you probably thought, like after that Crone Gracie fight back in 2019, you're like, you know what? We're probably at the end of the line. The guy's been around for a long time. Obviously, he was very young when he came into the UFC. He's a 33-year-old man now. Um, the striking is always pretty pretty solid, long, uh, pretty light on his feet, stays to the outside. Um, and, and he's got a decent submission game. Wrestling isn't quite there. Like, went back and watched uh, Singu Choi fight. Uh, round one, Choi drops him. That's obviously a little bit dicey. Round two, um, he closes the uh, closes the gap a little bit, able to get to his back, finds a submission, sinks it in. That's all she wrote. Um, he's a vet. He's seen everybody. He's been in there with tons of different guys. Maybe he's never really been in there with, like, the elite of the elite. But uh, Sadiq Yusuf hasn't really shown us that he is quite on that level yet. Now, he's only 28 years old. Um I think he was a guy that a lot of people touted as being a very, very legitimate prospect when he first came in. I think we saw some of the limitations of that against Arnold Allen, who was a great prospect in his own right. Um, if you, if if Cazares had any sort of wrestling here, I'd probably get there. But uh, I feel like Sadiq Yusuf is probably going to land the better, more uh, more punishing strikes, maybe even drop him. And, and that's going to be kind of a big problem. The problem with, yeah, Caceres is that I think he does at least have a submission advantage. I know that Sadiq trains with Lloyd Irvin, and, and I'm sure he kind of knows what to do down there. But, yeah, it, I, Caceres just kind of lacks, like, an overall strength that I'd be looking to, uh, to pick on uh, Sadiq Yusuf with here. So... Line at minus 235, Yusuf, is a little bit too rich for my blood. Um, I think Caceres is live, but I'm not going to get there either. It's dogger pass from my perspective. What about you? Yeah, I kind of end up in the Yusuf corner, but this one just feels like it's going to be potentially be the apple pie shitter. Yusuf looks like an apple pie shitter in a lot of these performances, even though he's getting the W. It just seems like it's been a long time coming, and of course he loses the fight to Arnold Allen. And with Bruce Leroy, I mean, low-key, this five-fight winning streak for guys that have just straight-up backed him has been extremely profitable. I mean, he's even money against Steve Peterson, which makes no sense, especially in hindsight, right? The Chase Hooper fight, he's a plus-185 underdog, Malzum. Austin Springer, talk about walking the parks, Bruce Leroy versus Austin Springer. He's only a two-to-one dog, minus 200. Crazy. He's only a minus-165 underdog against Kevin Kroom. Nuts. And a 225, plus-225 underdog against Sue Won Choi. Yeah, I mean, it's been excellent, but I got to wonder, Steve Peterson just not anywhere in the division. Chase Hooper, total boss. Oh, yeah, they're division. cupcake Austin matchups. Springer, never been there. Kevin Kroom, not very good. Sung Woo Choi is finally that one little step up, and he got mauled in the first round. He gets dropped, beautiful strike right down the middle, hits him. He's been known to have a good chin throughout his career, takes a shot, follow up a little bit of ground and pound. He scrambles to get back up to his feet, and Sung Woo Choi blasts him with an illegal knee. And this gives him two minutes, right? Referee stops the action. Full two minutes to recover. And then from there, I don't know what Sung Choi is doing. But you mentioned where where do you think Bruce Leroy would be? You know, where is he most dangerous? Where could he win this fight? It's with his grappling, for sure. Guys, jiu-jitsu is slick, and that's what he's been winning these fights off of. Striking has improved, but his wrestling's not all that good. So he struggles to get fights to the ground. Hasn't scored more than two takedowns in a fight in exactly. six years. 
but he's got an ability to take the back and that's what he does against sumo Choi. pushes him up against the cage he's able to sling onto his back he's got such long limbs that as soon as he can even get one hook around you from like a, a, a rear waist body lock then he just immediately jumps up and he takes the back puts in a puts in a body triangle and rides the position out so when you watch Sodiq Yusef, and again, Lloyd Irvin trained, so you know he's doing what he, he knows, he knows what he's doing on the ground. But the Andre Feely fight, mm, gives up three takedowns, and in those takedowns, he gives up his back every time in order to get back standing. Always gives up his back. Even up against the cage, uh, Feely ends up on his back a bunch of times, just doesn't have the ability to jump up and physically put the hooks in, whereas Bruce Leroy might. Outside of Bruce Leroy's wins in MMA, because he's been doing good, he actually cashed as an underdog in this grappling match against Eddie Torres, where he comes in as like a plus 175 underdog against the CFFC uh, featherweight champion Torres, who's got a wrestling base, and I believe a BJJ Brown or BJJ Black Belt. Same thing, dude. He just slinks onto his back, puts the body triangle in, chokes him out, rear naked choke. Like, smooth, smooth work. So part of me is a little bit worried, but what I'm going with, the reason why I ended up sticking in, in, in uh, Yusuf's camp is that he's still got pretty good cardio. His striking is good. Nice power jab, puts the pressure on you, backs you up, takedown defense, you know, not bad. Has an ability to get back up, love all that. But that Arnold Allen fight, first round, he is beating Ar Arnold Allen. He is sharper. He is more technical. He's having his way, beating him, beating him. Boom, hell of a shot over the top, floors him. Arnold Allen pounces. So DQ Yusuf survives. It, this was otherwise a Sodiq Yusef round, but he got dropped, so you got to score for Arnold Allen. The second round, Sodiq Yusef is having his way. He's beating him up. He doubles him up. I think he might even triple him up on the significant strike numbers in the second round. And boom, same thing. I think he blocks a head kick and then just freezes him. Arnold Allen pounces, lands half a dozen good-looking strikes, and Sodiq Yusef loses the round. And in the third round, of course... Uh, Sodiq puts the pressure on again. He he mauled Allen and didn't maul, but I think he outstrikes him like 16 to 2 in the third round. His pace was there. Literally, just getting rocked in those two rounds is what cost him. Bruce Leroy hasn't scored a clean TKO or a knockout victory since 2008 mm -hmm. in his second pro fight on the Florida Regional. He has no power, certainly not enough to get Sodiq off of him. And that's going to be the, the, the key to beating Sodiq. Because, of course, his only other loss is by knockout. And he got rocked in the Feely fight, rocked in the, I think it was the Benitez fight of the Allen rocked fight. him. Round, and and, and Mike one. Davis. Round one, Allen rocked him, rocked him good. First round and second round. So I don't think his chin's all that good. But because Bruce Leroy's not going to be able to take advantage of that, he won't get his respect. If you don't get this res his respect, he's just going to be continuously coming forward. And unless Bruce Leroy can make some magic happen and slink onto his back, he's likely going to get chopped up at range until he either topples over or the scorecards read uh, unanimous decision for Sodi Kusef. Would I be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit worried about the grappling, a little bit worried that old Bruce Leroy makes a little bit of magic happen? Potentially, but... Bruce Leroy could go and fight Arnold Allen or Andre Feely or Mike Davis. And I'm telling you, it's probably not going to go well for yeah, him. Like that's, that's a good level of competition, mid-level, but good mid-level. Whereas Bruce Leroy is on a career resurgence because they match him up against, hey, is this guy fraudulent or not? Hey, I'll show you if they are. Don't think Sodiq is. He'll get exposed by a bigger power puncher, but I just don't think Bruce Leroy is the guy. So I will take Yusef, but again, not, not looking to put him on the top two lines. Yeah, Alex Caceres isn't on a five-fight winning streak if uh, if he's having that level of competition every single time out. <laughs> yeah. That's for, for sure. damn sure. All right, we got Carl Roberson taking on Khalil Roundtree. Minus 125 Roberson, plus 105 Roundtree. Who you got here? 
So this one's more of a dogger pass to me, and both guys are probably going to engage in a striking battle. Both guys will have moments. It really comes down to what version of Khalil Roundtree shows up. And does Carl Roberson show up at all? Because Carl Roberson's got a lot of fight cancellations due to illnesses last minute and weight cuts and this and that. You just never know. And the flip side to that with Khalil Roundtree, I mean, he he's retired. in shape, he's a problem. Yeah, wow. He retired. He he flirted with a member. They booked him to fight Greg Hardy at heavyweight. And then he was like, I didn't book this fight. And like, got really upset about it. Says he's retiring. Moves to Thailand. From Thailand, COVID happens. All, no training partners. Bad shape. Takes the Marcin Pracnow fight and looked career worse. And he looked he looked terrible in other fights prior to the Michael Ma, Mikhail Electric fight. He looks absolutely bummed. Bad Electric end up testing positive. So whatever it, it, it was just another case of this guy's all the way washed up no good right 32 years old what are you gonna do he comes back to the u.s goes back to las vegas and something clicks because going into that fight against modestus bacaucus a lot of people are on record being like yo came back to vegas motivated he's in excellent shape trains every day things are starting to click for him he's not over the hill he's finally putting it together i didn't quite buy it but it was more of a stay away fight but dude looked good against modestus now people can mention it was a dirty kick and illegal kick and shred a guy's knee well even beyond that kick his hands look good his pressure looked awesome first round backed him up khalil's more of a one-round fighter but again this one goes into the second and he ain't going nowhere paul he's 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 backing him up he's putting pressure he's doing all the right things i thought it was not a career best performance from him because he knocked out gokan saki so he's he's probably never going to surpass that highlight reel but there was a lot that you could like from this guy if you thought he was reinvigorated carl roberson meanwhile he's losing but he's losing strictly because he's getting taken down Brandon Allen fight, he's looking good. You know, big ha- power kicks. And you got a nice head kick that even when you block it, just some serious damage to the forearm. But then Brandon Allen takes him down. As soon as he takes him down, it's game over. Fight private against Marvin Vittori. Striking actually looks pretty good. He's getting the better of Vittori standing for all of two minutes until Vittori opts to take him down. And at that point, he mauls, mauls Carl Robeson. Carl Roberson's just, his ground game's never been there, but Khalil's not going to take advantage of it. So this will finally be an opportunity for him to strike for 15 minutes. I just think I'm going to go with durability towards Khalil Roundtree, power towards Khalil Roundtree. The kickboxing will look better from the guy that's advancing forward and putting on the pressure. And again, I don't know that Roberson's particularly good off of his back foot. So I always call him Roberson. Apparently his name's Roberson, like Robertson, just without the T. So uh, sorry about that, dude. Um, yeah, yeah, this is going to be a banger, right? Both guys are going to have moments. Both gonna, guys are going to have spots. Could be sticky either way. I chalk this up to a dogger pass. The unfortunate situation is this is one of the five pickups on the card. Pick and yeah, right, and you're getting Khalil Roundtree for plus 105. So he's officially dog pick number one. Just no, no real meat on the bone, right? Yeah, I can't really argue with you all that much. I don't. I definitely don't want to lay any sort of wood on Carl Roberson. Um I mean, he was what, like a glory kickboxer before, was before he came into He was, MMA. but he would lose. And he fought Jerome LeBanner. He should have won that fight. But you fight LeBanner in France, what are you going to do? But I mean, um, like, to, uh, just to follow up on that argument is like, uh, Khalil Roundtree went in there against Go Kansaki, who's like one of the best kickboxers. <laughs> right, and right. it didn't look like, it looked like Khalil Roundtree was, you know, MMA is so much different that. Maybe Carl Roberson has a little bit of a technique advantage over him, but but yeah, if he just I mean the, the Eric Anders fights, it's like you just keep marching forward. March forward, march forward. I'm not sure Roberson is very effective fighting off his back foot. It's a dogger pass for me either, but wouldn't be shocked 
for my predi- my prediction to be way off on this one. I don't have a great read on this. Maybe I'll have a better a better feel for it by the time we get to Saturday. But it's one of the spots I really don't think I'm going to be investing my hard-earned money into. Moving on down, we've got uh, Drew Dober taking on Terrence McKinney. Minus 180 for Drew Dober. Terrence McKinney taking the fight on short notice. Uh, winner of a first-round submission plus 1,600 prop for me two weeks ago. Pat myself on the back. Um, Terrence McKinney can be had for plus 155. Um, I kind of wish that, uh, that 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 submission didn't happen two weeks ago because uh, yeah, right now I, I see some plus 600s out there. It's plus 500 at DraftKings Sportsbook for him to win by submission. Um, but I feel like we would have been getting much better number. I mean, he was nine to one to get just a submission in any round against fair as I am. Um, it wasn't even a takedown went back and, you know, the fight was so recent, but I, I did go back, watched it and he, they just kind of collide at the beginning and he just turns into a scramble and then has top control for the remainder of like the next two minutes or whatever until he finished them. Um, I mean, the path to this line opened at like plus 130, and then it got steamed like immediately up to plus 205, like minus 240 on Drew Dober. And as the week has went on, you just see a trickle, trickle, trickle all the way down. Props to the people who got like that hot, like the plus 200 number. It had my attention. I just hadn't ran tape on it yet, and I don't like to make bets unless I've at least watched some tape and kind of figured out where my head's at on the fight. Um, I think plus 200 was a pretty good number to be had. It's This fight's going to be like plus 135 pretty soon because people keep piling on the McKinney train. So now I've kind of shifted my consciousness. I, I look at that and I went and I go, okay, the idea here is McKinney's going to come out. He's going to wrestle gonna take drew dober down how how easy is it to do that i go i watch makachev versus dober makachev finishes him in round three makachev is right now the best grappler at 155 pounds and i don't even think there's really much of a discussion who would be better than him at 155 pounds um and they got to round three got to round three now i start questioning i go wait a second McKinney, he's been having some really nice finishes here. He's on a hell of a streak. I love the kid. I, I bet him. I've bet him by submission last time out. There are some holes in his game, and you go back and you watch like his contender series fight. And if he doesn't bum rush you early, then what happens? And you know, you watch the Sean Woodson fight, and it's just like, okay, when the wheels kind of fall off, it can get pretty ugly. Then Pat, bring up the board. Look at the size of, we, we, we bring it up every single time. Look at the size of Drew Dober's chin. Now, it, chin. Against, against Riddell at the end of round three, he did get cracked. He did wobble a little bit. But usually that chin, the biggest chin in MMA, is tried, tested, and true. Very, very durable. So I think Terrence McGinney really needs to take, to, take this fight to the mat. Drew Dober is going to have a kickboxing advantage in this spot. And as this line continues to tighten, continues to tighten, I feel like if it keeps going this way, I'm going to end up on Drew Dober. Um, I'm just not convinced that McKinney's going to 
I think we're everyone's piling on because he's been so hot since he came into the UFC. Dober is pretty easy to take down. Braverdell took him down five times in that fight, but he got back up. He was able to get back pretty back up pretty consistently, and I do think he he has a significant cardio advantage. Should we see uh, late in round two and into round three? So. The way it's going, I feel like I'm going to probably end up with some money on Drew Dober. What's your take here? Yeah, I like that the line's coming back and putting, people are putting money on McKinney because I'm looking to get Drew Dober and I want the best price available. Also, get another good live betting opportunity because I think Drew Dober is probably going to be in the thick of it for the first three to five minutes. Uh, it's all about making McKinney work. But yeah, yeah, see, I agree with a lot you're saying. On one hand, it's not just Brad Riddell takes him down five times. Islam Mkhajev takes him down three times. Even Alexander Hernandez took him down three times. His takedown defense, not that good. He's been taken down 11 times in his last three fights. But those are all good guys, right? Those are all solid. It's not like he's fighting scrubs for, for, for the most part. But nobody just smokes him out of there quick. You mentioned that his fight with Brad Riddell, he took some of the heaviest punches, right? Riddell tried to take him down. No submission attempts were even close in that fight. Did a good job of fighting it off. Islam Mankachev fighting him for into the third round. Very noble. He tried to fight off the takedowns, but I mean, had just absolute no ability to do so. But it was very noble. But even the Benil Dariush fight, like he's got Benil Dariush on skates. He almost knocks him out twice and then gets caught in an arm bar in, in the second round. Now, Benil Dariush, one of the best grapplers in the division. Islam Mankachev, one of the best grapplers in the division. Why they keep trying to set up the fight, I suppose. So, yeah, those guys can defeat him. And both of those guys need some time. You know, one guy took nine minutes. One guy took 12 minutes. Like, you got to get some time going. McKinney, to me, seems like he's got three to five minutes. He's got to go balls to the walls, get the takedown, which I believe he will. He'll use a little too much energy. He'll probably land some decent ground and pound. But, yeah, Dover's gin, my God. You mentioned Brad Riddell had him hurt, but did he knock him out? No, right? he no, wobbled him, because, which, which, which is I shocking. Know, I, know. I watched the wobble, and I'm like, oh, my God, maybe he's finally compromised. So look at that. Look at this. It doesn't even fit in the graphical board. This is why you should be watching the show, not listening on podcast. Because like his, like making that graphic uh, is just like, man, I can hardly even fit this guy's chin in like the little head head profile. Like insane. Insane. Yeah, dude. The, the guy can take a hell of a punch, right? I mean, he took Brad Riddell's best punch over and over and over. And then the last one did, does crack him pretty hard, but it's almost just like it got piled up. I don't think McKinney's going to keep any type of pace or volume over the course of 15. He needs to get the takedown, which again, I think he will, and then get a quick submission. Again, when you look at Dober, it's like, okay, well, he has been submitted. Guys have taken him down and they have submitted him. So it's certainly possible McKinney could get the job done. But as he starts to tire, Dober's got some hellacious power, man. I mean, he really does. And this is the kind of world we live in, crazy world we live in, really. Knocks out Josh Berkman, which wasn't easy to do back in those days. Smokes Frank Camacho, smokes John Tuck. Inches away from be beating Daniil Dariush, who's a top contender, right? Mm -hmm. Smokes Marco Polo Reyes. Beats Nazareth Highcross in a minute, right? Smokes Alexander Hernandez in the second round, knocks him out clean. This guy's coming into top five. Gets the Makachev fight and fails. No shame in that, dude. No shame in that. Then he gets even, Brad Riddell, even who's a hell of a tough opponent. And he rocks Riddell's shit in the first round. He's got him hurt. Man, He's got him stung. He's on, backing him up. But Brad Riddell's a hell of a warrior. So great fight. And now he's fighting McKinney. McKinney's like a much easier fight on paper than these last five guys have been. Surely Dober works his way back into this thing in the second round and either puts him away in the third or just secures the second in the third round. So, Drew Dober. 
I mean, Riddell is the city kickboxing kickboxing coach. <laughs> yeah. Round one and round two on the feet, as competitive as it gets. Like very, very competitive um, on the feet. I think the 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 takedowns for Riddell kind of solidified, and late in round three where he wobbled him, um, that really stole the round. But like everything else, like you go back watch that fight. It's like the margins. I don't have the stats right in front of me because I don't have them queued up right now, but. The uh, the margins there the 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 strikes for strike numbers are just razor close. Like I don't think McKinney um, can go. Like he's got to get the takedowns here. So props to you if you got the if you got those early odds. I would have probably taken them too. But as the week progresses, I'm probably more likely to end up on Drew Dober by KO, which I see as a plus two hundred offering out there. Oh, out there geez. in the streets. Yeah, I, I feel like, that. like that's uh, pretty... It'd probably be like round two or something like that. All right, moving on. We've got uh, Alex Pereira taking on Bruno Silva. Minus 180 for Pereira. Plus 155 for Bruno Silva. Blindau. Um, super, super exciting fight. Uh, very, 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 very exciting fight all the way around. Alex Pereira, obviously in his UFC debut, taking on... Mikalidis, we 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 at least saw that like, hey, this guy isn't a complete schmuck for getting taken down. Not that Mikalidis is some sort of like world class guy, but it's like they were up against the cage. He was able to fend off those types of positions. You know, he showed that he's been working on it at least. Obviously, he loses round one mostly because he's like controlled against the cage, but uh, kept himself out of trouble. And then, wow, the flying knee. That's what we're here for, is that this guy's striking beat. He has beaten Israel Adesanya, the current champion, of 185 pounds. It, it was a nice little, like, building block type of performance against Mikolitas. This should be a super, super violent affair, but the good thing for Pereira in this spot is, like, Bruno Silva hasn't landed any takedowns in the UFC. He has some decent ground and pound when he gets it down there. That's usually from, like, knockdowns or, or that type of situation. He's not really a wrestler. So I can understand Pereira being the favorite in this spot. I'm going to pick him to win because I think that they're, you know, they're skillfully selecting opponents for him here. Uh, guys that are not just going to spam takedowns and guys with like legitimate wrestling that could cause him some big problems as he's working out, you know, working out those kinks in his game. I mean, if this ends up being a striking affair, how do you not pick Alex Pereira, Glory World Box or Glory Kickboxing Champion. So, I think he's a rightful favorite here. I haven't bet it, but I was interested to hear what you had to say. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a walk in the park, right? But then you got Claire Roundtree on the card as a stark reminder that uh, sometimes the Glory Kickboxing Champion doesn't do so well in these fights. Like it is MMA; they're four ounce gloves. Anything can happen, and this is an absolute banger. They should honestly be headlining a fight night card simply because you've got one guy in prayer who's already really established in one sport, has a bit of a following, but he's 34. So he needs to get over with the MMA crowd now. And with his style and his ability to land flying knees and get a highlight real quickly, they need to push him along, right? You can't just go from being, you know, undercard, curtain jerking on the main card of a free fight night and then getting a fight against Israel Adesanya in a pay-per-view, right? So they should have put a little more emphasis. And this fight is just the best matchmaking. I mean, how is somebody not going to topple over and get knocked out? So I, I, I love it. Bruno Silva has never been knocked out. So 
Maybe this is going to be a first time for it. Uh, I'm not sure. But interesting enough, you look at his losses, right? Uh, rear naked choke, arm triangle choke, disqualification due to an illegal up kick because he was taken down and had to throw up kicks off his back. Arm triangle choke, first round. Heel hook, first round. Uh, and then Moise Ribbon with a Kimura in the second round. So the guy can't grapple. He's a striker. He wants to stand. He wants to bang. And since he's been standing and banging with guys, he's been having a ton of success. Guy's got the biggest knockout ratio in MMA out of any like active guy. I mean, what has he got? He's got 17 wins by knockout. Just like an atrocious, atrocious rate. Melvin Manhoff, shout out to my boy because he was like the former guy. But yeah, yeah, he just, he's got, sorry, he's got 19 knockouts and 22 pro wins. Like it's this absolute disgusting amount. If he touches you, you're in a lot of pain. But yeah, this is a, this is a kickboxing champion. And so I got really into it, right? I mean, he just goes and destroys a lot of these guys. But a lot of them, Gennady Kovalev should be a middleweight. Alexander Shlomenko should be a middleweight. Artem Frolov should be a middleweight. Wellington Termon should be a middleweight. Andrew Sanchez, middleweight. Jordan Wright, they're not the biggest guys going. Pereira, middleweight, but he's six foot four with a 77-inch reach. He is a big boy. He's got a four-inch height advantage over Silva. And he's going to have a significant reach advantage over Silva. So Phil, Silva's going to have to bum rush forward and just engage him. And I don't know that that's necessarily the best way going. Can he shoot a takedown? Can he try to wrestle him? Again, he's not a grappler. He's a guy that's going to stand up and bang. So I'm going through all of them. And, of course, he was on the Ultimate Fire. This is a long time ago, but he fights Vitor Miranda, right? Vitor Miranda, as you would obviously know. Mm -hmm. He's a former K1 champion in Brazil. Lex Luthor. And he, dude, and he comes out swinging bombs on him, and he can't find his range. He can't find his distance, and he gets carved apart. But the first round, he if he didn't have a hell of a chin on him, he would have gotten knocked down in the first because he just gets zinged around all over. Second round, he just gets beaten. Boom, head kick, crumples him. He is all the way KO'd, but it's an exhibition fight. So it doesn't show on his pro record. It's a knockout loss. He has been knocked out. And it was when he took on a guy that wasn't just going to brawl with him or not a guy that was undersized. It was like that was when he took on a big, strong, light heavyweight who's a good kickboxer. And he got carved up now. Of course, it's so long ago, but I think that's probably what's going to happen here. So he's going to come forward. He's going to be chucking bombs, but even go back and watch the Jordan Wright fight. Jordan Wright was having some success for the first minute. minute oh, it was a minute. Absolute, and 28 seconds later, he folds him up. But absolute wild. You see where range could come into factor. You see where Pereira, a guy that's way more calculated than a wild guy like Wright, is going to take his time, find the mark, will be able to hit him. And when you get hit by prayer, it's just a different kind of animal. So I think it'll be a lot more noticeable on the scales. And I think that's when the line will start to move is that when you see six foot Pereira next to six foot four or uh, six four Pereira against six foot Bruno Silva, I think that's when it's, you're going to realize, okay, this is striker versus striker, but one guy's world-class, one of the best in the world and has a sizable size advantage mm-hmm. and doesn't really have to worry about the grappling in the spot and is less than two to one. Cause it's going to be a banger, right? It's a lot of danger, but it's only minus 185. Like, count yeah. me in Paul Shaughnessy. Count I mean, me in Paul Shaughnessy. I'm in. I mean, it's probably by knockout, though, right? Again, props aren't – I like talking props, but at the end of the day, when I when I pull the trigger, I want something I feel safe on. I think he wins, and I would imagine by knockout. How, how could it you not You think be? decision is possible, though? I'm just thinking, like, do I need... It sounds like I need to add Pereira to my list of potential parlays is is really all I'm saying. Yeah, I think think Pereira ends up being a parlay piece, even though that there's an, you know, a volatile nature to this fight. I think Pereira ends up being one of our guys. I think he probably knocks him out. I don't think this fight goes the distance. But again, it is MMA. Anything could happen. And the Mikalitas fight... (laughs) 
they booked that fight because they thought Mikalitas would stand with Pereira. I mean, he was a striker coming into that fight. And as soon as the bell rang, he was just like, nope, and pressed him up against the cage and was just like, I'm going to keep this uh, as tight and, and up against the cage for as long as I can and just kill time. Does it in the first, gets knocked down the second. I'm not saying Bruno Silva is going to do the same approach, but again, he's out of Evolution Tai Brazil. They have a lot of good grapplers in the camp. Why would you? Why would you stand in front of a guy who's regarded as one of the best kickboxers on the entire planet and just kickbox? Because he why can't wrestle. You, you, but you would think he would at least try and then fail, and then we take over. Mikalitas could would think kind of not tries. really wrestle either, and that's what he did. He tried and failed, and then got knocked out in round two. Yeah, and Bruno's never been knocked out on paper, but again, like we mentioned, Vitor Miranda totally kicked his ass and knocked him out, and that was pretty much as real of a fight as you're going to get. I kind of see this one going the same. So we're on the same page. Yeah, let's say inside the distance, knockout Pereira, but I think we're both on the same page with Pereira anyway. Yeah, I wrote Pereira slash question mark, question mark, question mark. So I'll have to find another piece as the week goes along to add Alex Pereira because it sounds like we're on the same page there. This Sunday, we will find out who will get their invite to go dancing this March. The team's been fighting all season long to secure their shot at being crowned a champion. Just as the teams are in pursuit of glory, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving their new customers a shot at royalty with 4-1 to odds on any college basketball game. Just bet $5 on any college basketball team to win their next game, and if they win, DraftKings will pay out $200 in free bets. DraftKings Sportsbook has nearly endless ways to get in on the action, from same-game parlays to future betting. Feel the sweat with DraftKings now. Everyone can enter a free pool with $100,000 in prizes. Answer a handful of questions like which team will make the tournament and which conference will have the most teams in the tournament. Then follow along Sunday night and track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Throw down just $5 on any college basketball game of your choice and get $200 in free bets if the team you choose wins. That's code DOP at DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, we got Matthew Semmelsberger taking on AJ Fletcher. Minus 225 Semmelsberger. Plus 185 Fletcher. Who do you have here? This might be another piece, man. I think Semmelsberger should go out here and just absolutely roll him up. I really do. And whereas putting Semmelsberger on the top deck, <laughs> why would you ever do that? Well, that's that's what we actually all laughed about in the Martin Sano fight. And he, lo- he looked every bit top taking material because what it comes down to is matchmaking, right? It comes down to matchmaking. You get the proper matchups. You'll go out there and do good. And I, I think this is a good one for him. Listen, this guy's just completely just shot up above my expectations since he's come to the UFC. He had some decent wins on the regional scene. Uh, beats Richard Petitionok, who was a Gracie killer once upon a time. But the debut against Carlton Minus, dude, he is just volume all day long, right? Touches him up from the outside, big body. There's a lot that you can like about that fight. But again, he's fighting a very limited level opponent. Uh, hard, hard to get super excited for, for Semmelsberger. Let me just bring up his exact numbers here. Lands 118 significant strikes in the two takedowns. But he's firing Carlton minus his snow. Nah, whatever. Then he fights Jason Witt. Folds him up in 16 seconds. Oh, but it's Jason Witt. He can't take a punt. The Chaos Williams fight, he gets outstruck, but that was kind of his coming out party to me. He did an excellent job of staying with it the entire time. Cardio looked good. Durability had looked good because he had previously been knocked out one time himself on the regional scene. But Chaos Williams, man, he's got a ton of power. and He took his best shots. He did an excellent job of, uh, I thought, working his way back into the fight the longer it went. And I thought that there was an argument for Samuelsberger maybe even winning that fight, but didn't. Good learning experience. And then they give him Martin Sano, and he just goes out there and knocks him out. What you're getting here is a guy that's strong. He's got good striking. He's got good pace. I think his durability is okay, good enough. 
And I think that he's just going to wear on him. And then the pace will, and the numbers will eventually start to add up. But a big key here is that he's six foot one with a 75 inch reach. AJ Fletcher is five foot 10, the 67 inch reach. He's got an <laughs> eight inch reach advantage over AJ Fletcher. So for a guy that's takedown defense is good because he's so big, right? Volume there all day to land 100 significant strikes if he needs to. He's going to be a serious problem. He can fight from the outside or the inside in this specific spot. It, it it should be some some good times going. Flip side to that, Martin Fletcher or sorry, AJ Fletcher. He comes off uh, the contender series. The guy's just super young. I don't think he's quite ready. He's out of uh, Tim Crater's camp in Lafayette, Louisiana, former camp of uh, Dustin Poirier once upon a time. But man, you look at his pro wins, right? So 0 and 1, 9 and 16, 1 and 3, 2 and 2, 10 and 9, 6 and 3, 9 and 17, 3 and 4. Then he gets on contender series. Hasn't fought anybody contender series to this point, but it takes on this Leonardo Damiani. And you see, dude, he's undersized for 170 pounds. So not only is he taking a huge guy on a Matt Samuelsberger, but he himself is more of a lightweight. Again, he's only got a 67 inch reach. He stays to the outside. His wrestling's not going to be good enough to take Samuelsberger down. And his striking's a little bit sporadic. And he's green, right? It's a little more predictable. He'll throw naked kicks from the outside and then look to blitz through the middle. This Leonardo Damiani is actually doing decent enough, but again, it's two minutes into the round, and then uh, AJ Fletcher kind of steps up through the middle, throws a flying knee. You got to watch it like ten times to even see where it lands, but he just like stiffens up and falls over. Nice win for AJ Fletcher. Certainly the best guy he's ever fought, but he's still very green. They give him the contract because it's a flying knee win, and they should have eased him into the division. Instead, they give him a guy that's four and one in the division, huge for the weight class. Only losses to a credible guy, Chaos Williams. Like, this is not a good debut fight for a guy. It's going to become apparent when Matthew Semmelsberger just eventually t- takes over the longer the fight goes. Maybe even TKOs him, right? I think he's going to be the first guy to defeat him, but he might be the first guy to defeat him and also put him away just because I think volume's eventually going to take over down the stretch. So, uh, I, again, it doesn't, doesn't sound sexy. It doesn't sound like, oh, man, you know, got to load up, especially at this number. But in comparison to some of the other fights on the card, like, yeah, I don't mind Semmelsberger. One, how dare you be such a short sism uh, guy on this program? Bringing I'm your sure short sism, bringing <laughs> your short sism into this one. I've got Hasbula sitting on on the on the scene. Not a good yeah. look. Two, Semmelsberger. I think it's bad chalk, man. I actually, I've already bet AJ Fletcher. I grabbed a plus. Really? I grabbed a plus two twelve. Um. I one he is he is only he's 25 years old he obviously is green the Damiani fight and I don't think that Damiani guy was really all that good was like the biggest step up in competition he ever had had a first round finish he did get clipped I think his striking defense definitely needs work but the chin from what I've seen on tape holds up against lower level of competition 100% um I'm hoping he can he can secure some takedowns here um Low to the ground. He the guy's built like a little tank. Um, hopefully the cardio holds up. He's been basically spanking all of these these bums that he's been been taking on. I just thought that the line is a little, it, it, not even a little bit too wide, far too wide. We're 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 paying the price for Matthew Semmelsberger fighting Martin Sano, who we can all agree. Like they had blood <laughs> on their hands putting Martin yeah. Sano in that cage against anybody on the UFC roster that night. No business being there. 15 minute or 15 second knockout. 
Chaos Williams, very, very like decent striker, power striker. I wouldn't call him a technical savant. I wouldn't call him a volume savant by any stretch of the imagination. And he got, uh, what was it, like 90 to 60, essentially, in terms of significant strikes. Jason Witt, if you have any any bit of power, Brian Barberina, it's like if he wasn't just getting taken down because he can't stop takedowns, Brian Barberina gets the first-round finish against him. Um, Jason Witt, that is how you beat Jason Witt. Don't let him take you down because that chin is in absolute shambles. It always has been in shambles. I think we're paying, a, and Carlton Minus has already already been cut, already been minus out of the UFC. Yeah. Okay, can his I, three, can I his three wins. Let me finish. I, I yeah, give you like right. four minutes to talk about Semmelsberger. You're, right. you're right. I just didn't want you to jump into the next fight when you're done. That's all. Go ahead. His three wins are guys that don't belong. Absolutely don't belong. Two of them have like no durability. Like Martinson, no, I don't know. Maybe he does have durability, but he has. Literal, literally shouldn't even be in the UFC. Has uh, There's nothing there. Carlton Minus has already been cut. He's back up in Alaska, I believe, fighting. And yeah, Jason Wen is like decent wrestling. But if you put your hands on him really early, you'll get a 16-second knockout as Semmelsberger did. So I think you're really, I think this price is super inflated. I would actually line it more like Semmelsberger minus 150 plus 130 for AJ Fletcher. So when I saw plus 200s lying around there, I jumped in. I think plus 185 is even playable. Um, I think it's going to be a lot closer and hopefully, hopefully Fletcher continues to grow as a 25 year old. Um, I, I thought he looked pretty like pretty explosive. Um, looks like a decent athlete, uh, decent entries in and out of like, of some wild strikes, I suppose. I don't know. I think this kid could have some some potential, so I'm willing to take the dog shot here. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking. I was talking about the shortism and giving him a grief. You know who really gave him grief was the coaching staff at Louisiana State University because he attempted to be a football player. He wanted to play football. He went to LSU. Quickly fanned out of the program and then ended up transferring over to the University of Louisiana Lafayette, which is in his hometown. Bails on football and decides, oh, I'm going to get into MMA. He made his pro debut in 2019 like a few months before Semmelsberger signed to the UFC. And again, he's undersized at 170 pounds. He should be fighting at 155. And to put you on the same timeline of when this guy turns pro, he's only been fighting pro for less than three years. Semmelsberger shows a loss in his last amateur fight, 2017, right, even before this guy, to William Knight at 205 pounds. He's going to be way bigger than him, Paul. That would be the key. So would you like to take a shoey bet, my friend? Of course I'm not giving you a plus 200 on a shoey I gave you the favorite last time. Don't get out of here, you chalk donkey. I'm not playing this game with you. No, I'll be happy with the money that I win. You love him. You love You basically said AJ Fletcher is the lock of the... That's basically... I did not say that. I said I bet him because I think this line is kind of silly that Matthew Semmelsberger is getting completely overrated um, for... Literally, who in the UFC wouldn't beat Martin Sano in round one? Literally, everybody would. So you can't even take anything out of that. You can't take. Anything would it out change of that. your mind? And what? And two, two, two. Matthew Semmelsberger was training with Bill Algeo. Would no, that, would no. that change anything? That wouldn't impress me whatsoever. I would say that his his chin probably hasn't been checked whatsoever. If that's his main training partner. Um, and the last thing I'll say, I didn't know that about AJ Fletcher with his football. LSU, this guy got drafted by LSU, elite athlete. That's a, that's a, that's a school that gets like national championship buzz. 
Semi the Jedi. Get out of here, pal. Get out of here with your shortsism as well. He's a Jedi, Paul. Disgusting. Right in front of Hezbollah. I'm sorry, <laughs> Hezbollah. All right, moving on down. We got uh, Jillian. No, I won't take your bet, though, because that's bold. No, I can't do it. All right, we got Jillian Robertson taking on JJ Aldridge, your baby. Uh, minus 130 plus 110. JJ Aldrich is the underdog at plus 110. Um, here's the real puzzling one about this fight. The over is set at minus or at two and a half rounds minus 125. JJ Aldrich, very, very durable. Grappling isn't great. I could see her losing this fight, maybe based on some like sloppy takedown attempts with Jillian Robertson, as Jillian Robertson does. But J.J. Aldrich also doing her training camp with uh, with Miranda Maverick, who has a win over Jillian Robertson. So you know that they, this gym knows this uh, knows them quite well. I um, I took the over and I, I quite like it. I was going to talk to you about it, maybe even put more on it. Like I know that Jillian Robertson has a tendency to find finishes. Her stand up is very rudimentary, like Priscilla Cachoeira was beating her up on the feet until she got taken down. Obviously, when she got taken down, that's, you know, she got she got submitted late, almost got out by the uh, by the eye gouge, uh, which I respected as a as a better in that situation. But real, real dirty. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think this fight, uh, a win for J.J. Aldrich probably would be more like a Taylor Santos type of thing, where it's just like, stay off your back foot, stay out of trouble, um, don't mix in the takedown. Miranda Maverick, her teammate, was able to like mix in takedowns and kind of win the fight that way. But she's like, stay at range. You're a better kickboxer than Jillian Robertson. Don't get taken down and uh, don't get submitted. I'm not so confident in JJ Aldrich. She is who I will pick in this spot. But I think the over, over two and a half rounds, is probably my favorite bet on the card right now. I just don't get it whatsoever. Like Aldrich really doesn't get finished. I know Jillian Robertson gets finishes, but Aldrich has a, a pretty good team around her. She did get, yeah, she got knocked out by uh, Barroom uh, bar Brawl uh, Barber. Um, you know, when Barber, when Macy Barber just goes uh, helter-skelter and, and tries to put people away, that that is one force to deal with. Unfortunately, she doesn't do that every single fight. Uh, I think the over here is the play of the card, to be perfectly honest. It's only a standard play for me right now, but uh, I, I'll probably add more. Yeah, J.J. Aldris has had nine fights in the UFC, and eight of them have gone to decision. She did get TKO'd by Macy Barber, but she won the first round. actually looked really good, and then got clipped with like a knee in the second and kind of fell apart. So, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at it historically, eight of her nine fights have gone the distance. It's looking like it's likely going to be the same. If she loses this fight, she's going to get taken down. She's going to lie on her back. She'll have an inability to get back up, but yep. she'll lose the decision, right? She never finished inside of the UFC. And she didn't really grapple with Vanessa Demopoulos, who I believe is, a, is, is in fact a better grappler than Jillian Robertson. So it's hard to say with certainty that, oh, she got out of all those situations. But she fought an excellent game plan, right? Pushed her off, kept space, carved her up. I think that she's going to do go out there and do the exact same thing here. But again, if she loses, gets taken down, she loses the decision. If she wins... She hasn't shown any power, Paul. None. She hasn't shown any sting, no zip, no real ability to put her opponents away. She was hitting Macy Barber. She was kind of landing nice, clean shots, but all it is is a pester. It's a nuisance. And eventually, uh, Macy Barber is able to turn the tide. In this spot, 
do what you do. Use the jab. Keep her at range. Use your weapons. She's a longtime training partner of Rose Namajunas, and you see how good Rose's wrestling has improved being in Colorado. Good gas take. Is that she hasn't really ever been able to click it all together, put it all together. The fight with Courtney Casey, she gets outstruck. She gets t- some takedowns. Not a great performance. Wins the split decision. And then the win over Ves- Vanessa Demopoulos looks increasingly better. But Demopoulos was a short-nosed replacement for Tracy Cortez, right, who's a great wrestler. So you know you'd be spending a lot of time working on wrestling for that one, but you get Vanessa short notice. Now she draws Arianne Lipsky, and Lipsky pulls out short notice, and Jillian Robertson comes in to fill the void. And I think that's going to be key here because Jillian Robertson doesn't seem like her cardio is all that good. She's either got to put you away early, and you see that all the time, like her wins – are generally, you know, second round submission before she starts to fatigue. But the longer they go, opponents start to stuff the takedowns. When you stuff the takedowns against Robertson, she doesn't got a ton of striking to fall back on. I think Aldrich will have the better exchanges. She'll better have the better volume, maybe ever so slightly. She's just got to make sure she keeps this thing standing. And I can see her losing the first round, but second or third is where it's going to be key. But to be honest with you, man, it. It's women's MMA. It could go either way. It's probably going to the scorecards. I, I'm going to agree with that assessment. I think that's the play of this fight is the over two and a half fight goes the distance. But beyond that, like, could I see this being too close for comfort on the scorecards and getting screwed on it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Could I see it actually being a nice little dog? Oh, there's no dog selection. Yeah, I, it's dog or pass. There's no dog money left on it. But J.J. Aldrich at plus 110. I agree with you in all your points. I think she's the pick. I just upgraded my small play to a medium play. While you were talking there, because I think it's the best. Let's go. JJ, JJ works with a good group of people. They know this opponent and she doesn't really have much of a finishing ability. My only concern would be like, would be like Jillian quits, quits on herself, which is in play. It's definitely in play, but uh, (laughs) that's, that's fair, dude. That's fair. Maybe JJ puts it on her a little bit too much. That's I, I really don't think that she's going to get subbed by Jillian Robertson. Like, yeah, I, I found it kind of startling for 125 pounds. And I know Jillian Robertson has lots of finishes in her in her fights, but I found it really startling to see it lined at like minus 125. It is on the move. It's starting to move at some of the other books right now. So uh, that's why I had to get more down while the getting's good. Uh, it's like minus 135. Probably going to it's going to creep up over m- minus 150. Uh, as this week goes along, I, I would be shocked if it didn't. All right, we got uh, Javid Basharat taking on Trevin Jones. Minus 150 Basharat, plus 150 Trevin Jones. What do you think here, bud? Yeah, so we could probably rifle through a couple of these prelims because I noticed we're already like an hour into it. But yeah, Trevin Jones has been kind of a disappointment, and then he picks up the big win. So, so hard to gauge on how much you actually like this guy. His regional show career, just okay. Apparently, he's got good grappling. Apparently, he's got this big power, but... He hadn't knocked out very many people on the regional scene. Gets rightfully so priced as a massive underdog against Timur Valiev. 10-8 round in the first round. He's getting absolutely smoked in every facet of the game, and he picks up a huge knockout win. Crazy. No contest because of the marijuana. It's, it's a legitimate win. The Mario Batista fight, he loses the first round. He doesn't look particularly good. His volume's not there. Uh, he's just sitting back and relying on the power. He clips Mario Batista. Second underdog ticket in a row. Guys looking like sky's the limit. And then the Krakramanov fight. Like, Krakramanov is very young and green in his career still. Big body. You know, he was going to go out there and wrestle. And that's where I saw with Trevin Jones. is like, oh, those are the limitations. Like, similar to a Chaos Williams. Similar to, you see it all the time, uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. They'll come into the UFC. They'll win two, maybe three fights by first-round knockout. 
everyone will think, you know, they're a real wild card in this division, huge power. And then when they don't land that first round knockout, game completely falls away. That's what he seemed to me. Kakramano was able to mostly neutralize him, tire him out, submit him in the third round. Not a great look for Trevin Jones as far as I'm concerned. Javid Basharat, it's, again, it's hard to get a great read on him as well because he had fought a lot of lower-level guys. Contender series, he looked great. And then and then on Contender series, he draws a guy that's 16-0, and 0, and it's quite honestly the worst 16-0 and 0 you've ever seen. But I'll just say 16-0. And he's about a minus 185, and they get a little heated at the weigh-ins, and they exchange some words. But for a guy that was emotional or there was some bad blood in the fight, like he fought an excellent game plan. He maintains great distance, stays at the outside. Defensively, he sounds he seems pretty sound. He's one of these guys that can kind of do it all. I liked his striking. I thought his uh, distance and timing were good. And then when he would get the takedown and end up on top, very fluid, very strong physically, good ground and pound, nice elbows, chopped away at this guy and just beat him up pillar to post. First round, he's having his way. Second round, he's dominating him. Third round, it's not good enough for him. He wants to continue to pour on the pressure and get the finish. And he does exactly that. Just literally breaks the man, submits him with a guillotine choke with like, I don't know, 48 seconds left on the clock after beating him pillar to post. Very nice. Very nice. He's also full-time in Extreme Couture in Las Vegas. You know, he's getting great looks in there. You know, he's training with an excellent team. And this guy's the limit for him. I think he's 26. He's 26 years old. He's 26 years old. He's going to be getting a lot better. So with Trevin Jones, just not that all that impressed, to be honest. I don't think his grappling is as high level as some might think. And if Basharat ends up on top, then I think he's going to beat him up from on top. If the fight stays standing, Jones has that big power. But finding Basharat's not all that easy, you know. He's very elusive from the outside. And I think that's probably where he's just going to chip away, stay to the outside, chip away, maybe clinch him up, maybe press him into the cage, maybe try to tire him out the way that Kakramanov did. Yeah, but ultimately just... Be safe, be smart, and don't get knocked out by Trevin Jones. But again, he's never been knocked out, so I'll give his chin the benefit of the doubt. I think this kid, yeah, I, I, I thought he looked great on Contender Series. Looks very, yeah, very well-rounded. he's a bad guy, but he looked very well-rounded. You're right. I mean, Kakramanov, like, we, we gave him lots of respect, obviously. That's why I ended up on Kakramanov against Trevin Jones from watching him versus Umar, uh, Umar Goat uh, a little ways back. Um, I don't know. I thought Javid looked pretty good in that contender series fight. Uh, I was curious about his submission prop, but that's already plus it's plus three fifty. It's not uh, it's not jumping off of the page to me. The books are kind of wise to the fact that uh, that he's got that in his back pocket. Sound like you think that it's like a more of a stand up affair, which I which I found was a uh, pretty pretty interesting. The under in this fight is probably my most interested play under two and a half rounds i see out there like minus 125 uh minus 120 that kind of covers the majority i think of trevin jones's win conditions in this fight and i wouldn't be surprised to see javid um you know finish the job as well trevin jones really like put himself into that like into that guillotine really recklessly against uh Sadiyuka uh, Kakramanov. Um Basharat, I think is going to be a decent prospect moving forward. So I like the money line quite a bit, but I think if you want to even be a little bit safer, I think the under two and a half rounds if available to you uh is is the play here. Um uh, moving on down the card, we have 
Kemwell Kirk taking on Damon Jackson. It's a straight pick them. So I don't want to hear you talking about, well, I'm going to pick the underdog in this spot. Yeah. Who yeah. You, who you, I mean, th- this one opened at like minus 155, minus 160 for Kemwell Kirk. And the market seems to like Damon Jackson. And I'm going to let you talk first, but I think the market's on crack. Well, to be honest, when the fight got announced, I, I thought Damon Jackson would be the favorite, and I like Kamala Kirk. I thought there's a sneaky little underdog play. Damon Jackson is originally supposed to fight on Josh Kulabau. <laughs> so, like, I don't know how hard he was trading for that, but this is a much different fight in Kamala Kirk in that he's got stout takedown defense. He's got a striking advantage, a wrestling advantage. His submission grappling, pretty damn good. I can't say it's better than Damon Jackson's, but good enough to keep him out of hairy situations. Mm-hmm. If he wants to keep a fight standing, I think he should. And he'll he'll piece up Damon Jackson um, on the feet. If Damon Jackson tries to take him down, and then he just avoids it, stuffs it up, and then he'll end up on top. And if he ends up on top, grappling's just good enough to stay out of harm's way. Would I be a little bit worried that he's coming on a short notice? Yes, and of course I still am. But he came in on a short notice against Maquan Amir Khani. Same thing. He's not the original opponent. He took it on like three or four days, steps in. I bet Kwan Kirk in that spot. He did win. Wasn't without controversy. Like he got taken down five times. And, like Maquan great wrestler. One. But Maquan's a very high-level wrestler. And to be honest with you, this kid was getting taken down, but then he was working the entire time. Mm-hmm. He was working. He was landing the damage. He was doing whatever he could. That's it on short notice. He's still young, and he's getting better. Even on a contender series, he fights Billy Q. This guy looks good in the first round. Like, here's a long, young, legitimate prospect. And then Billy, Billy's pace. You and I hit that one. Remember, Billy was a big underdog. Um, he just His pace takes over in the second and the third round, and he puts Kamala Kirk away. But you could see there's something to work with. He went back to the regional scene. He worked his way back to the UFC. Takes a short notice fight against Makwani Amerikani, who's been ranked as high as top 10, top 15 in the division at one point in time. So solid victory, even though it was controversial. I get it. To come back into this one, I, th- I think I think could go similar. He lands the more damaging shots, keeps the fight standing, he outstrikes him. So it, yeah, right. It's pick him. There really is no, no dog side of it. But uh, I'm leaning towards Kamala Kirk. I think, yeah, I, I was waiting to talk to you because I wanted to add Kirk to the card here. It's like, I went back and watched the Damon Jackson versus Charles Rosa fight, and it's... Yeah. I mean, Charles yeah. Charles Rosa, we talk that. about it all the time. It's like, if he thinks he can't... And he did land a nice little, like, spinning back elbow round three, which, like, cut Damon Jackson right up. Really bad cut around the eye. If it's, like, a little bit over, probably gets the fight finished. Round one and two, he, he absolutely dominated. And he got takedowns, but it's like I wasn't watching the wrestling there and thinking, like, these are great takedowns. It's kind of like what I talked about with uh, with last week with, like, Carolina when with Carolina Kovalkiewicz when she took on... Uh, Jan. When she took on Jan. Um, it almost got... It, Charles Rosa kind of flops sometimes because he's like, you know what? I love my grappling. I'm okay fighting off my grip, my back. Maybe I can turn this into a scramble. Maybe I can turn this into a uh, into a, a submission off of my back. Obviously, he wasn't going to be able to do that against Damon Jackson, but he does that a lot in a lot of his fights because I think that's where he feels most comfortable um, trying to mount a comeback, especially in round three. Um, so, like, I didn't really take away much from the six takedowns he got against Charles Rosa. Like, Charles Rosa... God bless his soul. Taken down six times by uh, by TJ Brown, six times by Damon Jackson, two times by Justin James, four times by Derek Minner. Like uh, the jur- or you know, 
everyone knows that's like Charles Rosa is very, very like it's pretty easy to take him down. So I'm I'm kind of stunned that like people are just laying laying the wood, or have been like betting Damon Jackson down so much because I feel like yeah I share a lot of the same sentiments that you do. Camelo Kirk is going to land the better, more effective strikes on the feet. If he does get taken down, he showed against Makwane Murakami that his grappling is at least good enough to get back to his feet or stay out of trouble. I'll be adding Kirk after we get off the uh, after we got, get off the air here. Moving on down, we got Miranda Maverick taking on Sabino Mazzo. Minus 310 Maverick, plus 245 Mazzo. What do you think? Yeah, so again, I'm, I don't want to break a whole lot of rules this week, but like you don't want a heavyweight on the top ticket. Of course, sometimes you got to do it. And then you've seen that Parker, Parker Porter situation. Like, whoa, he did not look top ticket. You don't want guys that are not ranked in the top 25 on the top of your ticket, like a Matthew Semmelsberger mentioned to you. I don't really want them on the top line, but I do want some investment. And I don't want a women's MMA fight on the top line, but honestly, this is Miranda Maverick's fight to win. Pretty confident in that. I think she just goes out and cruises. Listen, they're both they're both 24 years old, but one's a legitimate prospect on her way up, and Sabina Mazzo is just not. She's just not at that level. She was young. She was green when she first came in, King's MMA, but she's not physically strong enough. She's got excellent output. She'll kick all day. She'll put up 100 significant strikes, but none of it's damaging. None of it's putting opponents away. None of it's really drawing the attention of the judges. And physically in the clinch, it's just not working for her. You look at her wins, right? Shayna Dobson, who I think is clinging on to a, a job in the UFC, but, you know, very, that's very low level, right? J.J. Aldrich was a split decision. Uh, it, was, it was a fight that she won, probably the best she's looked. Aldrich, middling, but, of course, we're picking her on this card, so hopefully she's better than middling on Saturday. Justine Keish, no longer with the promotion. Justine Keish wins the first two rounds of that fight, and she hits her with a buzzle beater, Renee could choke in the third, but did not look good at all. Out-muscled. The Alexis Davis fight, Alexis Davis scored three takedowns and like legitimate takedown. Got a hold of her, outmuscled her in the clinch, pushed her up the base, peeled her to the ground, and beat her up. That's a really bad look because Davis has lost a lot of that spring and athleticism to be able to get takedowns whenever she wanted. Very, very bad look, very bad look. And then the Maria Agapova fight last time out. Well, certainly now we know Agapova's a fraud. <laughs> like we're back on the fraud side of things, okay? But Dude, she got out muscled pillar to post. She's not strong enough. At range, she could hit you three times. You can hit her once, but you get her attention. She gets dropped in the third round against Agapova. She gets submitted with a no-hooks rear naked choke, right? Gives up her back, got caught with the choke. Physically, strength's not there. The blows are just not damaging enough. The takedown defense is not good enough. These are all massive problems against Miranda Maverick, who can do it all. I don't want her to stand with Mazo because... That wouldn't be the best path of victory, but you can stand with Mazzo for periods of time until you decide time to get this fight to the ground. And when she wants to fight to the ground, I think that's where you're going to see it play out. Look at Jillian Robertson, good, decent wrestler, good grappler. When she wins fights, it's because she puts on that grappling pace on people. But Miranda Maverick went and played her game, took her down three times, outgrappled her. This is a young fighter in the division, full of confidence. The Macy Barber fight, does anybody actually think Macy Barber won that fight? What? It should have been 2 nothing Macy Barber for, uh, for Miranda Maverick all day. Outstrikes her, takes her down, takes her back. Fights an excellent fight. Hey. Unfortunately, the judges don't get it right. A shooey by you. Him. A shooey by you says that. That's right. Because you that was, had Macy that was Barber. A bet. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I, you had uh, Macy Barber and you and the judges. I don't even know if you believe I it. Gre I greased that one out. I greased that one out. <laughs> I greased that one out. 
Uh, I, I think that this is a girl that's just growing and getting better. And every time you see her, similar to uh, losses in her career plot prior, Deanna Bennett. She loses to Deanna Bennett. They rematch down the road. Still a tough fight, but she makes the adjustments and she, and she chokes out Deanna Bennett. She gets better. She's making improvements. Unfortunately for her, she runs into Aaron Blanchfield. That one's a legitimate loss. And Aaron Blanchfield, a.k.a. Aaron Blanchimov, is just a hell of a prospect, dude. Like, that girl is legit. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to fault Miranda Maverick. I think this is a good bounce-back opportunity for her. Uh, I don't consider Ma uh, Maverick the busted prospect quite yet, where I really do feel that is the case for Sabina Mazzo. I think Maverick will, uh, again, you know, be the stronger fighter in the clinch, get her to the ground, out-muscle her. You'll see how weigh is. This girl's always in terrific shape. It's absolutely shredded up. And in a fight that's going to come down to physicality, she's not going to be lacking it. So I know it's minus 310. I know it's women's MMA, but I like Miranda Maverick. And I would love to tell you that the fight's going to go the distance. But a no hooks, rear naked choke after she got floored. So she's probably half concussed coming out of it. Yeah. I, I, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know that I necessarily love the decision prop. And I bet you it's not a great price anyhow. Maverick and uh and JJ Aldrich training together. Maverick I like it. Being the wrestler for this matchup makes sense. And JJ Aldrich being the striker trying to shoot the takedowns or yeah. trying to stop the takedowns, like it's a very natural fit. For both of their matchups coming up here, both win. But I think the, Dude, the over also, is the better play. I don't think JJ is going to finish Jillian, and I don't think Jillian is going to uh, is going to be able to really consistently take down JJ either way. I feel like I should get on the action just make a little – that'll be my women's MMA parlay right there because it would also be like a sexy sitcom, you know? Maverick and JJ. <laughs> Training partners, getting ready, montage stuff. You know what I'm saying, Paul? It'd be good times. I, I hear Maverick, I really like. JJ, not quite as much, but no, if they both come through, the lines I'll uh, have close. some exposure. Yeah. All right, we got Dalka Lungiambula taking on Cody Brundage. Minus 120, Dalka. Plus 100, Brundage. Oof. Oof. It's hard to love this fight. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, you know, Dalka. In fairness, I'm trying to remember. This is like the one of the first fights that I taped because I was like, oh, maybe there's some value here because Dalka. I always get drawn to Dalka because he's just so jacked, especially at 185 pounds, just absolute shredded. But like uh, the technique on the strikes, I don't even think he's got all that much power. To be perfectly honest, like it's like power. Yeah, power when like when there's not really the technique there. He's just winging bombs, and uh, there isn't much accuracy on them. Uh, in fairness to him against Mark Andre Barrio, that was the best his gas tank had looked in all of his UFC fights. Uh, Brundage versus Nick Maximov. He did all right against Maximov early, but like Maximov's really definitely a work in progress right now. The grappling's pretty solid. Um, he's able to control people, hold people down, but uh, on the feet, he's he's definitely uh, he's working on all of those skills. I mean, initial lean and even post post lean, I'll lean towards Dalka. I think it's going to be a lot harder for Brundage to take him down and hold Dalka down, um, and I think that's the best way for him to win. But I don't know if I trust Dalka with my money at this point. Um, 
kind of a flamed out prospect. The only wins that he's gotten have been against really, really marginal competition. Uh, ankle I have lost. We throw completely out. Like, of course he's going to lose to who I believe is the best light heavyweight in the world. Um, and yeah, there were some improvements against Marc-Andre Barrio. Like the, the, the pace was up there for him and the number of strikes that he threw round three, he was still able to throw some strikes, which was, you know, obviously he's putting the work in. I think he wins this fight, but I'm going to be really hard pressed to get to the window, um, to bet Dalka. Cause I really do think that like, he's very limited the, the technique and, and, and skills that he has. Um, I just don't know if he's, how old is he at this point? He's already 34. It's just like, this is what we got. He has been making improvements the last couple of years. So props to him for that. I just don't know if I can get there. I don't think Cody Brund. I went back and watched Cody Brundage's fight against, uh, William Knight from contender series. I'm like, what happens when he takes on a guy with like, not that much, like technical striking. And like, in, in, in fairness to Brundage, like he had him down, he took him down, he was landing shots to the side of his head, had him pretty much like flattened out, and then he just muscles his way up. I could see something like that happens where Brundage takes uh, Dalka down early, just gets out muscled back to the feet, and then and then and then flattened. Um, I'll pick Dalka. I'm not very confident though. What about you? Dude, that's what I think might happen too. Like, I'm going with Cody Brunridge, but I see the same thing. I think Brunridge will have early success. He'll probably get the takedown. He'll hold him down. But at any point, if he gets tired and this thing ends up standing, he doesn't have a great chin. Like the William Knight fight, it's all within the span of one round. He gets the takedown because, you know, he's a guy that wrestled collegiately out of Newport, I believe, Newberry, the Newberry College. Doesn't matter. Anyways, he's a guy that wrestled collegiately. He's Amanda Cooper's husband, you know, grinding hard out of Michigan. Guy can wrestle, takes William Knight down. But as soon as Knight got back up, you saw he's way too green, doesn't have the striking, eats one great shot, goes down. Cut, goes to the regional scene, or does not get cut, doesn't get the contract on the contender series. Go to the regional scene, fought Joseph Cropshot. Again, now you see where he is a wrestler. He likes to get his wrestling going, likes to take, take guys down, likes to kind of put that pace on them and then look for the submission. Submits, submits him the third and then takes the Nick Maximoff fight kind of short notice for Carl Roberson, I believe, is the original opponent, um, steps in for him. And it's like, I don't know if that's the – again, now it's wrestler versus wrestler. But Nick Maximoff was the one that got the four takedowns. And in terms of his grappling, it looked good, but not great. His cardio didn't look good. It was good that he went 15 full minutes. I think he outstruck Maximoff like 14-2 to two in the third round. A lot of people thought Brunridge won the fight. There just wasn't anything really of substance. And that's the worry here against Dolce is that he'll probably get the takedown early. But unless he can consistently do that for three full rounds, I'm not entirely sure. And with Dolce, Marc-Andre Barrio fought a real stupid game plan. Like he just stood in front of him with his hands down and invited a brawl. Worked out for him that time, but it was a very bad game plan. Marcus Perez, he is who he is. We'll go back to this Magomed Ankalaev fight, which <laughs> no shame, dude, no shame. But Ankalaev gets a takedown. Well, first round, Ankalaev's out striking him way faster than him, you know, eats him up with the, the southpaw stance, backs him up against the cage, and then cage control. He just easily presses him up against the cage, but does not take him down. In the second round, Magomed Ankalaev gets a double leg takedown up against the cage again because that's the problem with Dolce's. He's always walking back. Like, he always moves himself back to the cage, tries to fight off of it, similar to like 
what Masvidal is trying to do against Colby. When you got to move if you know these guys are going to shoot. And Kalaev gets him with a double leg off of the cage. And then Paul, as soon as he hits the ground, that's it. Four minutes, he doesn't even try to get back up. He just lies on his back like a fish out of water. Now, just because the next two guys, Marcus Perez and Marc-Andre Barrio, didn't really try to go to a wrestling-heavy attack, it doesn't take away from the fact that I don't think he's any good off his back. He is a judo black belt, and he's only five foot eight, which is incredible considering he used to fight at 205 pounds. So he's got a low center of gravity, and again, because of the judo, he does know how to stuff takedowns. But Razak Al-Hassan also has a judo black belt, is known as Judo Thunder, and is like quite literally gets taken out by everybody. Joaquin Buckley looked like a D1 All-American against him. So I, I, don't, I don't know that this judo is necessarily translating, especially when you're up against the cage. And I think that Dolce could be in, in tough with Brunridge. If Brunridge just takes him down and lies in his guard round one, takes him down and lies in his guard round two, and then all of a sudden Dolce needs a third round knockout, it doesn't quite materialize. So it's, it's a squeaky split decision type of thing on the scorecards. I don't know, man. I wouldn't want a whole lot of exposure on this fight. I can see it going either way, although you're going to go slightly lean towards Dolce. Don't fault you for it. I'm going to go slightly towards Cody. Because when I don't bet on guys named Cody, they, that's when they usually win. And uh, it's if it's going to be wrestler versus striker or wrestler versus judo guy with, with big muscles, I generally favor the guy with the perceived grappling advantage. And in this spot, it's Brunridge. So that's going to be the pick. But Dalk has got like the, some judo, does He's a judo black belt. He's a judo yeah. black belt. But I mean, in the battle of judo versus wrestling, I just feel like... I'm going to take the guy that wrestled yeah. collegiately. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I'm not going to argue with you all that much on it either. It's not a fight that I'm ah, overly interested in, in putting money into. There mm. will be no shoey bets had on Dalka versus uh, versus Brundage. All right, moving okay. on down. We've got Chris Mutino taking on Guido Canetti. Minus 145 for Mutino. Plus 125 for Canetti. I saw somebody on Twitter. I can't recall. So sorry if I'm not uh, giving you your doodaps here. I saw someone say that they're like, I waited eight months to fade Chris Mutino, and they gave him 42-year-old <laughs> bantamweight Guido Canetti coming off of three losses. Like, this feels like absolute payback to Mutino being like, hey, kid, thanks for saving saving the car, saving that fight against uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley. Thanks for taking 250 significant strikes to the dome and keep moving forward. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, he landed 60 significant strike. Kid had tons of heart. Props to him. Was so outclassed. I mean, the stoppage by Herb was pretty sketch, to be perfectly honest, at that point. Because it's like there's like 30 seconds left in the fight. And it's like, man, you've literally already let this kid die. You might as well just let him take a few more shots at this point. Eh, a little sketchy thing from Herb there, to be perfectly honest. It's like he had, had an inside-the-distance ticket. He must have had. Because, like, it's like, dude, like, you were supposed to stop this, like, uh, seven minutes ago if you were ever going to yeah. do it. If you had compassion, that's when you were going to do it. It was kind of weird. But uh, uh, watching that fight back, like, can he just move forward, move forward aggressively and probably out-volume Guido? Yeah, Guido doesn't really have the greatest uh, greatest uh, pace. Uh, he doesn't really land significant strikes at a great rate his wrestling's nothing special um and his strikes the like he really only has it's like a like a left hook and a left body kick like those those are the two strike or left 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 kick really like he he moves it to the body he moves it to the legs doesn't really move it to the head all that often um it's very very you know 
He stands southpaw, and he he hurls the two big weapons, you know, from the from the backside. It's a pretty straightforward type of thing, I guess. I guess uh, Mutino is where I would pick here if he's able to keep pressing forward. Keep pressing forward. Well. That kind of eliminates these like looping shots that Guido throws. That leg kick or the the kick, the loaded up kick that he throws is probably going to be mitigated as well. So I can see why Mutino's the favorite here, but wouldn't it be the most MMA thing ever for Mutino to go through hell and high water against uh, against Sugar Sean O'Malley and then get iced by Guido in the first round here? Neither one of these guys. I really have much of a high upside here. This is a payback fight. Thanks for not dying. Thanks for not suing us, Chris Moutinho. Here's the biggest. Here's the biggest squid on the roster. Moutinho's the pick, but boy, oh boy, there's there's so many better better things to bet. Yeah, I don't know. See, on one hand, they're doing him a favor. On the other hand, they've been doing Guido Canetti a favor for quite some time. He beat Hugo Viana as a plus 450 underdog, and then he ended up having a positive test, and it ended up being a false positive, and it cost him about three years of his career. And since then, he's gone one and four. He's on a three-fight losing streak. He's 42 years old. They just keep bringing him back, man. They just keep bringing him back. It's like they're like, oh, dude, we're really sorry about that false positive. Basically ruined what was left of the prime years of your career. Yeah, we'll pull a Sam. Like Sam Alvey, he's still on the roster. They're giving him another fight. He's got the longest winless streak since BJ Penn. They're tied. And if he loses his last fight on his contract, he'll, he'll not have the record. Why do you keep these guys around? Because they're good guys. They're good guys. So I think with Guido, it's like, well, who's one guy you could potentially beat? Probably Chris Mandino. Why? Because he's a defensive liability. Everything you throw hits hurts him. And who's to say Mark Smith doesn't draw the assignment for this? Who doesn't say that Guido Canetti comes out hot in the first round like he always does, hits him with a counter left hook, wobbles him, and a referee steps in and says, no, 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 yeah. and stops it. You need a good ref that's going to let it continue. This guy's a defensive liability. And I love MMA because you can go take an absolute beating, a take a drubbing, and people will be like, man, this guy's got a cast iron shit. Best chin i ever seen. Funny you say that. So he's actually two and three in his last five know, fights. He's, and he's been out knocked out in all three of those losses. Exactly. Right? So, it so was, was like, Sean maybe loading it was just up like, on him? Maybe it was just adrenaline. It's like he's in front of a big, like that was actually a full, it was actually a full arena. I forget where it was, but uh, they're actually in front of, like maybe that was the first time he had like 15, 20,000 people watching him. And, you know, that's what Almost kept certainly. him conscious. Because, like... It was a McGregor undercard, man. McGregor Poirier 3. There we go. Like, Whoa. There we go. Huge, huge vibe. You're taking on Sean O'Malley, who's a 10-to-1 favorite and is a star in the sport. And the guy's getting paid a ton of money. And if you go out there and pull the upset, even the 50K he would have got for the performance bonus, that goes a long way for a young fighter who's made to this point not anywhere close to that number. But again, he's got five pro losses. He's been finished all five times. Three by knockout, two by submission. The last three were all by knockout. If he goes out there and he wants to be this crowd-pleasing guy and he's chasing another 50K and he's going to march forward with his hands low, it's not. It's just not smart. Not only is it not smart for career longevity, longevity which guys like Chris Lieben, they don't care about that, but you see what kind of shape they're in now, right? Like, it, it, it's not only just that, like, long-term. It's, like, even in the short-term, dude. This guy, Guido Canetti, he's only good at one thing, which is planting his feet and chucking bombs in the first round. So you got to mind your P's and Q's. That being said, Guido Canetti's always been a one-round guy. 
Uh, he looked better in Mena Martinez fight his last time out where he kind of fought two rounds before he fatigued. Mm-hmm. But the Batgarel fight, he gets clipped. The Marlon Moraes fight, he probably won the first round. I-, I thought he won the first round. Second round, wheels completely fall off. The uh, Hung Yo Kang fight, again, he starts off hot, throws some big strikes, then he tires out. And the thing with Chris Montino and the way he fought O'Malley, like let's just assume he does the same thing here. Fighting against that is so exhausting, man. You got to back up from a guy who's just perennially coming forward. Yeah. It's extremely exhausting. A tired out O'Malley, and with a guy who's 42, has a suspect gas tank, hasn't won a, f- a fight since the Diego Rivas fight like three, four years ago. He's, he's going to fight off his back foot and just move for 15 minutes? Like, no his, his way. Best two, his best two attacks don't even work very well off of your back foot. Like, it's literally like a, yes. a left hook. Yeah. It's a left hook and a left kick. Those are his best two weapons, like, in his fights. He's got to – you got to be somewhat at range. Like, if he's inside the boxing pocket, those uh, those don't land where you're, where you're targeting. So, And that's what it comes down it's to. Dicey. Listen, Moutinho's – 29 he's a little fresher he could obviously still take a few more punches and beyond that i mean yeah he's gonna come forward he's gonna fight off the adrenaline he's gonna fight for the moment he's just got to keep coming forward and he's got to hopefully pack a lunch with them and and take that early beating but again when you talk about easiest path of victory uh he doesn't do it and he has no real notable wins on his career to make you think Geez, I absolutely love Chris Moutinho. No. So it could end up being a little bit greasier than we would like it to yeah. be. But uh, again, I think he is the rightful selection. I mean, he became a favorite here for just not dying when he was completely yeah. outmatched and getting outstruck like five to one. Um, he landed some decent strikes, but like, yeah. Uh, yeah, his survival against is the only reason why anybody really anybody really knows. Um, they gave They did him a real good service giving him guido in this spot this is a winnable winnable fight for him so finally we got azmat mirzakhanov taking on tafon and juqui minus 165 mirzakhanov plus 145 and juqui i said off of the top of the show that uh, i added azmat uh he was minus 160 in the parlay uh with ankalaev off of the top um, I, you know, I didn't really think much about Mateusz Scheifel, who he, who he beat down in the contender series, but you go back and watch some of these, uh, brave, brave CF open weight fights where he has given up tons of size against his opponents. And this guy's good. I know that he's super, super old. It's kind of what he's, he's only 30, 32. Yeah, well, that's what they say. I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if I believe it either. I don't know if I believe it. Based on his male pattern baldness, I really don't believe it. But that's that's besides the point here. Um, he's good, man. I think he's really, really light on his feet. He's obviously very undersized for 205 pounds. But, you know, if he's more like a 40-year-old man, as, as me and you are kind of uh, leaning towards here, then, then maybe he can't get down to 185. That would probably be a better weight class for him. Uh, Tafon, you know, he tried that 185. That kind of hurt his gas tank. Props to him. Last time out in his uh, in his last fight, that was the best that we saw of his gas tank whatsoever. That was the best that we saw his volume whatsoever against slow Mike Rodriguez. Um, really didn't have too many issues whatsoever. And I, I know he's got like a judo background, so... He's not going to be easy to take down, but 
Azamat, I think, has a significant speed advantage on the feet here. He's very, very light in and out, and he's a killer when he when he breaks that pocket and he lands. Like he he lands to kill. Um, this guy, and yeah, some people may be like, oh well, he's undersized, and it's just like, yeah, but you go back and watch some of those open weight fights that he's had. One against Guto in a cinch. Um, one against uh, Muhammad or what is it Muhammad Fakhruddin. Like he has given up tons of size to a bunch of the, or not Fakhruddin. Sorry, Fakhruddin's like a 170 pounder. But against Gudo, the Gudo in a cinch fight that I'm thinking of is like he gave up tons of size in that fight, and it doesn't really seem to bother him. He's able to get takedowns. He's able to force them up against the cage. Like uh, Murzakana looks like I know he's a contender series. A lot of people like to fade the contender series. But it's like it's not too far, uh, not too long ago that Enjukui was. You know, the contender series guy. I just see, I, I think Mirzakhanov seems to be a pretty complete package. I don't know if he's got like, especially at his size, like he doesn't have like championship aspirations. I think he's way too small to do any damage to, you know, Ankalaev at the top of the card, but I think he's really, really talented. Um, is there anything to be really carried, uh, worried about here? Because I don't really see too much. No, dude. So a couple things, right? You say he's undersized because, yeah, right. He's not the tallest guy. No, you're the one talking about uh, height and being discriminatory. But I still bet him. Guy. I still bet him, even though I think that he's too small. Yeah, that's fair. But you know, five ten, seventy one inch reach. I think he's giving up six inches in the reach department to Fon and And like you said, maybe a little bit undersized for the division, and maybe won't have any real title aspirations because of it. Dude, I don't think it matters to him one bit. You brought up the Gudu in a cinch fight where he just mauls him everywhere, beats him standing, presses him up against the cage, takes him down, tires him out. Real complete performance. But uh, he, he signed on the dotted line to fight Jared Vandera. Jared Vandera is deemed not medically fit. By the way, Vandera weighs 265 pounds, mm -hmm. right? And they say, nah, Vandera is not medically fit. Felipe Linz is rumored to be in the fight. Linz can't get licensed or whatever the case is. He was trying to fight heavyweights. He was trying to go up to two. He's a bad man. 260. This is a bad, bad man. Bad, bad man. And so here's the interesting thing about him, right? He's a Sambo champion. He's a good striker, southpaw, very, very fast and very light on his feet. Maybe because he's slightly undersized. He makes up for it with speed, and he's got a ton of power. He is just going out, earning the name Murda Kazanov because he is just absolutely destroying the up. He defeats Andre Muniz, who's now a star in the UFC, knocks him out in 50 seconds. UFC signs him. He beats his Georgi Sakaev. They sign him up to fight Joaquin Christensen. Two months after his last fight, signs up for the fight, pulls out an injury. Usada knocks on the door, positive test. Give him a two and a half year ban. UFC killed the contract after that. Then he went and smashed Guto Innocent, smashed Mar uh, Muhammad Farkadine. They brought him on the contender series and he smashed Matu Chafel. They just couldn't turn away, baby. They just couldn't turn away. This guy looks good. He looks like he's a good striker. Looks like wrestling is in his back pocket, although he typically chooses not to use it. Similar to an Uncle Iev, I suppose. And I just think he's going to have a massive speed advantage. And Tafan and Jaquie is not particularly very big himself. I mean, look at the Jamie Pickett fight. He made 185 pounds. Yeah. He does stand six feet tall with a 77-inch reach, but he's fought at heavyweight where he fought William Knight, and he's fought at 185 where he fought Jamie Pickett and uh, Jung Young Park, right? The Jung Young Park fight was terrible. Yeah, sorry, no volume. He got up. controlled. He just he looked really bad in that spot. And against Mike Rodriguez is, is his return 205. And you look, he looked way better there. And I'll admit, you look at a couple of him uh, by the numbers. You know, he lands 116 against Mike Rodriguez. He landed 120 against Jamie Pickett. 
So this is a guy that can go out there and land 100 significant strikes, but he's at a speed disadvantage. He's going to get it back. He's going to be getting backed up, and I don't necessarily think that he's the bigger guy against uh, Mirza Khanov. So I, I got to go with our Russian brethren as well. The only thing is that, like, let's say this got greasy and went to the scorecards. You know, would they screw us on the scorecards just because he's Russian? I don't know. I would like to believe that that's not the case, and that it, we're just going to get a fair handshake, but. Ulenbekov, man. God damn. Where's my fair, fair shake there? Close fight. I get it. I get it. But yes, we're going to go with uh, Team Russia again on this one. I don't think they're going to just screw over screw over Russians for being Russians. Come on. I just I always I always think what's my worst case scenario and I'm gonna lose right I try to cover every angle and there are some angles where it's like oh there's fan favorites they give them the nod there's the villain this guy comes in and he was holding on to Fawn the whole time I don't think he's gonna hold it all he's just gonna box him up but you know again I'm always trying to process what's my worst case worst case is don't get a fair handshake all right, so what I've got this week, I got Mirzakhanov and Ankalaev parlay minus 106. I think the lines are, I mean, the Ankalaev line is starting to get away from, getting away from all of us. Not that it's moved from, like, I, I, I question whether I should have even gotten involved at minus 500, and it's minus 600 now. So it is what it is. I wanted to have action on it. I feel like he's going to win, but it's obviously not the greatest parlay piece. I just wanted to get in on Mirzakhanov as I was watching tape. Um, I got AJ Fletcher plus 212. Uh, it's a standard bet as well. And then Aldrich versus uh, Robertson over two and a half rounds. And uh, I upgraded that one while we're on the show. Going to add something to Pereira, but I'm not quite sure what. Maybe it ends up being Basharat because I feel like he should win this match. So I think uh, on tape, I, I do like his skills. But uh, as always, at Paul Shag on Twitter, I will share all of my plays on Saturday morning at some point, um, as will Cody Safdick. But Cody always gets a little bit ahead of the curve by dropping the PRP on us. Dropping the PRP, yes. We're a little short for underdogs this week. We do, we do have some close pick em type fights. But with 14 fights, again, you can definitely just zone in and focus on what you like the most. Part of what we like the most is Ankalaev. I think he's solid. Song Yudong, uh, I don't think the price is great, but I think that's some of them we're going to back this week. So do Yusef. Maybe he's my apple pie shitter, but I do like him. Uh, Khalil Roundtree is dog number one. Not a whole lot of faith there, but he will be dog number one. I am going to go with Drew Dober. That's a tight one. Alex Pereira, do like. Matthew Semmelsberger, I know you don't like him, but I really think he's got a solid chance here. Like a good chance, solid chance. My boy this week. Maybe not top line, top two lines. Uh, we're going to go with J.J. Aldrich. Is technically speaking dog number two. We're going to go with Javid Basharat, Kamala Kirk, Stephen Money, Miranda Maverick, like her this week. Cody Brundridge is technically speaking dog number three. Again, don't have a whole lot of confidence there. Chris Moutinho is going to be the pick. I could see it being greasy, but minus 145, actually not that bad of a line, really. And uh, Azmat Mirzakhanov, who at minus 165, is definitely going to juice up a lot of those plays for you. So, I think there's a lot of different ways you could go. Of course, this is Wednesday, so you probably there's no sense in giving you Invicta picks because by the time you watch this show, it'll be done. Did you have an Invicta on tonight? And then when there's a PFL Challengers on Eagle Friday, FC as well, an Eagle FC card is absolutely loaded. So might have to go out and drop a show for that on its own, kind of run through some of the best Eagle FC picks. But yeah, again, I I, I just think it's another one of these weeks. I love this card way more than 272 from a betting standpoint. But it's not a week where you necessarily have to just load up on 12 UFC fights. You could kind of spread it around, take what you like the absolute best of, 
and kind of make some uh, cross promotional parlays. So yeah, I love parlaying. So, I mean, that's what I'll be doing. I'll have parlays up and down the board, but this, this looks like a good betting, uh, a good betting card. I would like to think. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, Sanchez versus Kevin Lee. That shouldn't be happening, but it's happening in the great state of Florida. I believe they're, they're doing all this stuff in Florida with the Eagle FC. Either yeah, way, yeah, probably I mean, Diego. We really, especially Diego at 165 pounds. It's like he wasn't, you know, this guy f- used to fight at featherweight as well. Like Kevin Lee probably absolutely smashes unless he doesn't smash and then gases in round three. But I mean, even, you know, this, we're talking then about it's only a three rounder. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we're talking about the absolute ga- the, the absolute ghost after a severe hospitalization with COVID for Diego Sanchez at this point. Like, I don't know if his cardio is going to hold up either. A lot of people don't think that fight should happen. And those people may be right. Anyway, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Safdick, producer Pat Mayo, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.